Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. To episode 12, our first discussion on unconditional election. Welcome back to Mike and Mike Theology Plus. I'm Mike and this is... Also Mike. Yeah. Um, so we are continuing on our discussion of sovereign grace, the the doctrines of soteriology. Because we like playing with flowers. That's right. That's right. Um, so we recently finished up Total Depravity, and uh, we are moving on to unconditional election. But I do want to revisit a topic because really because it came up in one of our Facebook uh, discussions on theology matters, but it reminded me of how I've talked with my former youth pastor, who is not an Arminian, but is not a Calvinist either. He's uh, I don't know how he would describe himself, but one of the ways that he argues against a five-point Calvinistic position, and it took me a while to get my mind wrapped around why he was saying what he's saying because it's just not how I would argue. Mm-hmm. But he mentioned um, Cain's choice in, what would that be, Genesis 4? Sounds right. Genesis 3 or 4? No, 4, because the fall is in 3. So, and um, God the Son, the Christophany, if you take it to be that, is basically telling Cain, you know, you need to decide, you know, evil or something's crouching at your door. Sin. Sin's crouching at your door, and... And, you know, won't, won't it be the case that if you do good, your countenance will be lifted up? So I, the, reason, the reason why it took me a while to kind of understand what, I think the point that Arminians or those who would argue this way are trying to make is that, see, Cain is being given a choice, and it only makes sense for God to give someone a choice if they have the ability to act on that choice. They could have done either thing and, or God's kind of being deceptive if he gives a choice. And so I've also heard uh, people use this uh, with respect to Pharaoh having a choice to either humble himself or not. And he hardens his heart. Well, that's, uh, that's a, that was in one of the podcasts that I listened to him prep for this. It's an odd choice because the Bible specifically says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? And then sometimes it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart, right? Um, Maybe both are true, possibly. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's also places where uh, God is is talking to Israel mm-hmm. and telling them that they need to choose to do well. I don't think that these are are very good choices to argue this for a number of reasons. One, but let's just take the Cain scenario. Those aren't salvific choices. I don't see Jesus saying you can either choose to uh, have me as your savior or to believe in me or reject me. The choice before Cain is how is he going to deal with his brother Abel and his anger um, that's building up towards Abel. Yeah, it's like Seth, no, Abel. I don't know. Sometimes you just, you know, your mind goes crazy. Um, and then in the the case of Israel, this is a nation, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll do a shout out to Nathan because he, uh, I thought he, his point he made was, this nation was already chosen by God. 
They already had a covenant relationship with God. God had already saved them out of Egypt and had performed many miracles on their behalf. And he's saying, listen, you can either shape up or ship out. You know, you can follow the Mosaic law or these bad things are going to happen to you, which eventually did. The Northern kingdom was destroyed by the Syrians and the Southern kingdom taken into captivity by Babylon and then returned eventually. So I don't see how they directly weigh in on the topic of soteriology, especially when we have direct didactic text where these topics are taken up specifically for salvation that would say that man, you know, is totally evil, we, which we, we talked about last episode. So we don't want to rehash all of that. But I just want to address this way of arguing, which I don't, I wouldn't argue this way. And it's hard for me to kind of get my mind wrapped around you why you would. Because even if someone said to someone today, like, let's say you're evangelizing to someone, you said, choose this day to follow the Lord and they don't, well, they should follow the Lord, but they don't. Why don't they? Because they're in rebellion. So even if it were the case, I don't think that's like an unmet or untoward offer to say, hey, you need to choose Christ. You need to choose to to submit to your sovereign. Okay, well, he does. Right. Um, And either he is going to choose or is not going to choose. So anything you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, so um, in the particular instance of choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, this is kind of where my covenant theology comes in a little bit to interpret it, because I I would very much agree with you that's not a salvific choice. That is putting the Mosaic covenant of blessings and cursings before them. And I believe that an unregenerate Israelite could outwardly conform to the law enough and that the nation as a whole could outwardly conform to the law enough in order to stay within the blessings because I don't believe the Mosaic Covenant was a salvific covenant. I believe that it was a national covenant that was intended for national ethnic Israel to bring about the Messiah, to bring Christ into the world. So I just I think that's mixing categories, grasping at straws. Quite honestly, it just baffles me when they point to Pharaoh as the epitome of God giving a choice. I mean, for this reason, I raised you up to show my power. God is despoiling the gods of Egypt. And, And certainly Pharaoh hardens his own heart, as all men do in their natural state. And yet we're explicitly told in scripture that God is also responsible for hardening the heart of Pharaoh. So um, the fact that they're both involved in choosing to harden his heart does not seem to me to in any way point to the universal possibility for all people to choose positive, moral, religious, and spiritual actions. I mean, that, that... I don't know how you prove a positive by a negative. So it it just doesn't make sense. And I agree with you. Those are Old Testament narrative, which we can learn from. I'm not saying we can't learn from them. I'm not saying they're just stories. But when we have those topics directly covered in didactic passages in the New Testament that is specifically dealing with that topic, 
then we don't need to try to piece stuff together out of here when we're given the facts out of here. Right. I mean, that, that's just a proper biblical hermeneutic. You interpret the unclear in light of the clear. We have super clear passages on this issue. We don't need to try to mine stuff in the dark from unclear narrative passages. I agree. So that's all I want to do on total depravity. Uh, did you have anything else on total depravity? Plenty more, but let's move on. <laughs> all right. So unconditional election. Um, so I would say probably this is the one. Well, limited limited atonement. I'd say this is right underneath the limit limited atonement uh, that people it just kind of bothers them at some level. The and I don't know. I think all but the P really bother people. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, because I think total depravity is one. Well, well, in studying unconditional election, it becomes very clear that pe that people who want to hold to a conditional election fail to grasp total depravity mm. in totality. Right. They, they, which I think will be clear when we get to the objections. Mm. But um, so uh, listen to R.C. Sproul talking about this. He, uh, why, is that, why is that funny? Uh, just, I love R.C. Sproul. He's got some great quotes. Yeah, I, I love, I, I, I love him too. Um, so miss you. Um, but he said at his seminary, each, they were given a card when they started seminary that read, you are required to believe and to preach what the Bible says is true, not what you would like it to say is the truth. And he said when he was first studying this and these doctrines started to, to hit against him, he didn't like it. And he pulled out his card and read that card and was like, well, it doesn't really matter what I like. If this is what the Bible says, this is what I have to believe. This is what I have to preach. So I, I respect him for saying that. Mm -hmm. So um, unconditional election, just like with total depravity, it can be misunderstood as maybe not the best um, uh, title for it. It doesn't mean that there are no conditions for entering the kingdom of heaven. We've said that. Right. Um, it, so it doesn't mean that you, you do still have to uh, repent. You do still have to put your faith in Christ to enter in the kingdom of heaven. Well, and, and I would argue, I don't even believe in a totally unconditional election. Mm -hmm. I believe that God has purposes for who he is electing that tie into his overall plan, that tie into bringing him glory. I don't think we're given those now. I don't know that we'll ever be given those. I do believe in what we are saying is our being chosen by God is not at all conditioned on our innate goodness. Right. And that's what, yeah. So that's Should what I get ahead of you. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you got it. That, that was like at the end of my notes. So. <laughs> yes. So, um, RC, just like he, says that a better thing for total depravity would be radical corruption or radical depravity. He says that would make it root lip. He said the better one for this one would be sovereign election, which is going to hand in hand with what you're saying, because God is choosing sovereignly who he wants. Right. And, um, but then he says the acronym gets totally messed Our up because it's like Russell or something yeah. like that. Um, 
So then he, and I encourage you, I'm going to put a link to this teaching in the, the uh, description below. I encourage you to go listen to that. Um, it's, I, he's, I find him entertaining and enthralling and inspiring. He's got such a good gravelly voice. I know, you know? I know. You've got to, there's a gravitas to. You got to drink and smoke, I think, to get that. You think drink? Yeah, I mean, I know he used to be a smoker. Yeah. Yeah, so. I don't know. He went to seminary early on enough that I, I'm doubting he was a heavy drinker at any time. Well, he's a, he's a Presbyterian. Yeah, I said heavy drinker. <laughs> <laughs> Implying out of bounds type of drinker. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't think he, I, I'm not saying that he got drunk a lot. Okay. I'm just saying that if you regularly drink, um, it might help your vocal cords. I, I don't know. Well, that's a great argument. <laughs> I'm going to say that. We digress. We digress. Um, so he also says, okay, so the two options here are basically conditional election, unconditional election. The conditional election folks have God looking down through the quarters of time, corridors of time, and seeing in the different people. Where is corridors of time found in Scripture? Well, I don't, I don't know. Okay. Um and seeing in people some characteristics, some attribute that lets God know that when and if the gospel is presented to them, they're going to respond. And he chooses them based on that, that choice. Whereas unconditional election, as you stated, is not conditioned on any goodness in the person being elected. Um, it's... In God, it's in His sovereign will. But what I, what I want to emphasize there is, I think a lot of times Arminians hear Calvinists talk about unconditional election, and what they hear is that God is capricious or random, right? And what I'm arguing for here is, I think that God has many conditions that are guiding and driving His choice for election. Um, I mean, His glory. I mean, clearly. The, the praise of his glorious grace, um, the glory of his grace, it's to bring him glory. I mean, all of that is repeated so much in the New Testament. Um, we're just not, one, I don't believe we're given the full counsel of God on why everyone is elected. You know, it's kind of like Spurgeon said, we don't have the yellow stripe up someone's back to figure out if they're of the elect or not. And I think part of that keeping us in ignorance is so that we will go out and, and be indiscriminate in sharing the gospel because God has ordained means to it. But um, it, it's just, it's not based on I'm better, I'm smarter, I'm holier, or some kind of innate goodness that has been in me. And God says, oh, that's the guy that I want on my team. Right. I, really, I really can't do what I need to do without Michael Mott. Right. I mean, that, that's what we're fighting against. We're, that's... That is not the condition for it. Or the other, or the idea that because Michael Mott is a little bit better, I was able to respond than someone else. Mm -hmm. So the choice, you know. But then that goes back to total depravity. Right. Yeah. Right. So the word election is all throughout our, our Bibles in the New Testament. In fact, every time um, it talks about the church, that word is actually ecclesia, the called ones. Um, which talks about God calling us. Then there's the actual word for election where he's choosing us. Mm -hmm. And there's no real mystery about this word, or there shouldn't be a mystery about this word. We just had, not too long ago, our midterm elections in uh, the American government. 
And what did we do as voters? I didn't vote. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I'm a bad Calvinist, I'm sure. Um, well, I, I wasn't registered. And, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you moved and there's, yeah. yeah. So, so I am now. Okay. But what did Americans do when they voted? Well, uh, they waited for their candidates to choose themselves to be elected by the voters. Right. I chose the, well, you may actually have a point here for the, for the people who vote a straight party ticket, it may actually be <laughs> the Armenian version because <laughs> they're choosing whoever the party chooses to be in there. But, uh, in all seriousness, metaphors going yeah, on. <laughs> in all seriousness, when you elect someone, the people are choosing someone, um, to be their representatives. And even though you may not have voted for that person, the people did elect and they, and they chose. So we have American elections. So it's, uh, so, so it's like God casts a vote for us and then the devil casts a vote against us and then we cast the deciding vote, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that. Oh, man. That's good. Um, so, and in fact, all throughout the biblical story, we see God choosing and electing to do what he wants to do because that's what that's what that's what he does yeah so i've got what i think is a, a fairly interesting old testament example and i will admit it's not necessarily a pure parallel and given what we said before about pharaoh and old testament narrative i want to i want to make clear this is not my final proof text it's not well let me give go this broad it. summary and then you give this detailed story okay go ahead so god chose to create the world he chose Abraham brought him out of Ur. He chose Moses uh, after he was, you know, disheveled and in in the desert for twenty years after failing. He chose Pharaoh yep. to bring about his glory yep. through for destruction. For destruction, he chose Saul, David, and Solomon. Um, he chose the apostles through Jesus. Well, he messed up with Saul, right? No, <laughs> he chose Saul as a punishment to the Israelites. I I do. Thing because they rejected God as their theocratic king. Which is an interesting thing, right? Because, and, and this is not our topic. Today. I know what you're going to say, I think. And I found it puzzling as well. Go ahead. In Deuteronomy, God gives instructions for what the king should do. He specifically says, when you have a king, he has to, hand, he has to sit down himself and write down a copy of this law mm-hmm. so that he will know how to lead his people well. But don't have a king. <laughs> yeah. And then when they want a king. Whether specific admonitions to not have a king as well. Because all I remember is there were judges. And then they finally say, we want a king to be like the other nations. I'm assuming, obviously, God moves sovereignly. Yeah. He allows them to want a king. And he puts in a king. And then he has you know Jesus be the descendant of the king. So that's all there. So now we had to play, you know, the what ifs. What if Israel had been faithful? Would they have eventually gotten a king? Uh, you know, I, who knows how God works? Only God knows how yeah. God works. Um, Paul was chosen. You know, he was on his road to Damascus. I love the meme. It's like, I was on my way to Damascus, and then I used my free will. Or I, I was on my way to Damascus to kill Christians when I used my free will to become one. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he chooses his sheep. Um, so now you were, you had a specific story? Yeah, so in um, Deuteronomy chapter 7, God is talking to Israel and 
calling them a, you know, the, the pericope title for this is a chosen people. And in verse seven, well, I'll go back to verse six. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Choose, choose, choose. Mm-hmm. And, and God is the active party here, right? right? It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. If you actually take out a little bit in the middle, it, it says... It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you, but it is because the Lord loves you. So he, he set his love on you because he loves you. He loves you because he loves you. I mean, it's, it's just right. like, there, it's clearly not the intrinsic goodness of the people of Israel. Because by the way, read about them, right? <laughs> they're not good. They don't get like three days out of Egypt before they're grumbling against Moses. God, I mean, Moses has to stop God, and I, there's discussions to be had there, but God several times tells Moses, get out of my way. I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses has to say, no, let's, you know, these, God was not going, man, those are the guys I want on my team, right? In fact, it specifically looks like he's picking the bad news bears mm-hmm. to be his people in order to highlight his own glory, right? which I would say is um, something that we see repeated in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 1, for instance, I think we see that God is saying, look, you guys don't deserve this. (laughs) Over and over. Yeah, there's some of you that are rich. There's some of you that are well-born, but not many. Right. Because God is choosing the things that the world despises to show his glory. Right. And I don't know how much I'm beating this table. <laughs> um, um, I hope that doesn't show up on the audio. But, I mean, I, I think there are more didactic t- texts that we can go to. I think First Corinthians is pretty clear. But it just seems like all throughout the entirety of the scriptures, we see this pattern of I, God says, I'm not choosing you because of you. I'm choosing you. Almost, it, it's an in spite of, of you. Yep. Right, right. It's, yeah, I am, I, I am conditioning my election. I'm getting the worst ones. Right. You know, so it, yeah. it. So I have this question. Why the Bible seems to speak so clearly do folks have difficulty with this doctrine? And I've got some options down here. Um, maybe pride. I have my little, my old school ASCII emoji there. Um Possibly indirectly, it's pride-driven. Uh, I don't hear anyone from the other side saying, I chose because I'm a good person. But it may be the idea that, um, well, the people who hear and respond are God's people, and I was one of those that responded. Maybe there. There may be others. Um, I think it ultimately comes down to this idea of people think it's unfair for God to choose um, and not have man be responsible for where he ends up. 
Um, and I can hear someone saying, if God chooses and we don't uh, choose him, how is that fair? Uh, shouldn't everyone get an equal shot? Um, yeah, and we do. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, I do believe that. Like, I know that kind of comes across glib and tongue-in-cheek, but we all get an equal shot, and left to ourselves, we all go to hell. Right. We all fell in Adam, and because of that, because our federal representative had disobeyed and broke the covenant of works, we are all born unable to fulfill that, at enmity with God, hating others and hating ourselves, unable to please God, unable to choose what is right. So sure, you want fairness? I don't. I don't. I don't want fairness. I don't want fairness because fairness goes to hell. Right. Yeah, and so that's why I have there. I say people who would make this argument or have this concern about God not being fair, they don't understand our true nature, with, um, which you covered, that we're not going to choose God on our own. We died in Adam. We sinned in Adam. That's on us. But even apart from that, we actively sin all the time and we're in rebellion. And the result of that is they don't understand our true punishment, what we actually deserve. Mm-hmm. None of us deserve anything. Um, so everything we get is, is, uh, grace. Um, so. Well, and I also, you, you sent me some audio today and I'm still not sure what I listened to <laughs> quite honestly. I, I'm, you think there were three guys talking. I think there were maybe two. I know there was like an audience there, but it will be linked in the, yeah, maybe we can figure this out. And I wish crowdsource. I wish there was actually a video of the people, right. not just of a static image. Right. I think that would help tremendously in figuring out who was saying what and when. But um, one of the guys says, you know, the burden of proof is on the Calvinists, not the Armenians. Don't agree with that. But he, do, but he says something that I do agree with. He says, Arminianism is the natural presupposition. I don't think he used that word. I, I think he says it's the natural way of thinking about this. Right. It's the, it's the natural human way of thinking about this. And I agree with that. Yeah. I actually think that's one of the problems with it is whether it's Christianity. So he says... The Arminian bears no burden of proof since the Arminian paradigm, I don't think he says paradigm, that was my word, I know, uh, is the most natural way of thinking. Okay. Um, yeah. They only have to provide defeaters of the Calvinistic arguments. And again, I disagree with that part, but I do think that men naturally want to insert themselves into the process. Now, I'm not drawing too strong a parallel because I do believe Arminians are believers, but I believe if you look at some commonalities to false religions, where it's all about what we do, I really see that spilling over into the Arminian belief that it it rests ultimately on my choice. It really boils down to, do I pick the right thing? Do I check the right box? And I really think scripture blows that out of the water when you just read it and let it speak for itself. I think it's very clear that God is trumpeting from the pages of Scripture. You will never do that on your own. If I don't give you a new heart, a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone, if I don't raise you to life with Christ, you'll never choose me. But I think the natural inclination is to think that we can do more in a positive direction than 
scripture tells us that we are actually capable of. Yeah. And you saying that reminded me, um, I had three salvation. I'm doing air quotes for the podcast, uh, experiences, uh, when the last one was the, the real one, uh, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, I've tried to describe to people before between the, the, the second and the third, what my state was, because I was old enough to understand the gospel. And it was something along those lines of checking the box. I never thought that I could be good enough to be saved, Mm -hmm. but it was the, I've done the thing that I need to do in order to get Christ's merit applied to me. I've said this prayer. I've walked this aisle. I've been baptized. I've, I've said the words. I've made the confession. And it was all about, did, did I do this? Did I do this? Did this? I must be saved. And I came, you know, 17. I'm not a believer um, and convicted that, um, that something needed to get changed. I'm not saying that Armenians are not saved. I'm just saying that was that that check the box mindset of do this, do this, do this, then you're a believer um, was definitely there for me before I was a believer. And I think that, and I think this is what you're saying, but I think that mindset can exist in a genuine believer. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's a mistaken mindset, but I don't think it's a heretical mistake. Right. I don't think it's one that puts you outside of the kingdom. I agree. You you think it did in your case? I don't but think not that universally. No. Or you think it was associated with you not yet being saved? I think that. I did not. Well, one, I did not understand the full weight of my sin. Um, it took me getting into sin as a teenager to go, whoa, I'm not good. <laughs> not only am I not good, I'm pretty bad, you know, and that bad, couple, bad, Michael. Yeah, bad, bad, Michael. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, bad, bad, Michael. Bad, bad me. Um, that's from a story that I shared at Thanksgiving with kids. You know, most people tell the gospel differently probably than yeah. I did. I told the gospel by talking about bad, bad Ichabod. Yeah. And then transitioned to all the kids saying bad, bad me. Right. So I went away not helping their self-esteem. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, w- I would say it had some, something to do with me trying to uh, intellectually ascend to provide, you know, agreement to these historical facts, but not actually having a personal relationship with Christ, mm. not actually being in him at that point in time. Right. Um, I'm not trying to blame it on. Yeah. My point was in you, that was associated with pre-salvation. Right. But that's not causative. Yeah. I'm not making that. I'm not saying that if you believe this, you're not, you're not saved. Although one guy that we listened to did try to say Calvin, some Calvinist was blasphemy. So yeah. Several of the points of, Calvinism, he called blasphemy or near blasphemy. Yeah. Which What's near blasphemy? That, that's, it's crazy. I have that question down here. What is borderline blasphemy? <laughs> um, that's in the objections yeah. part, which I have it towards the end. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I do. let's go over some of the texts associated with um, the doctrine of unconditional election. So it's late here. Yeah. And I'm trying to get us to... And I'm tired. <laughs> Maybe we'll cover one of the text and then we'll save the 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 big one for our next episode because we'll stop uh, recording we just recorded our christmas episode yeah so you probably won't hear this till january sometime late january yeah yeah so uh not late january 
mid-January. Four weeks from mid-January. All right, so let's go over one. So I will say the first scripture where I was like, whoa, maybe God chooses us. <laughs> um, <clears throat> back in the day, so this is your fault, Brother Gary, just point that out. Back in the day, we had Bible verse memorization challenges in Sunday school. A great thing. I encourage everyone to do it. The, the idea was that our uh, teachers, uh, the Brother Gary and Miss Evelyn, who taught us, they would say scripture and we would, you know, they would get, you know, one, you know, one point for every verse. Mm. And it was them two against the whole class. And if the class could say more verses than they, they did, they would take us out. Well, I don't know if it was rigged or not. The class always ended up winning. There was, there was a lot of us. But <laughs> at least for me, it inspired me to memorize a lot of verses. And uh, what a great legacy. Yeah. yeah. That, that warms my heart. <clears throat> the cockles of my heart. <laughs> uh, which I looked up afterwards. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> it's the ventricles. Um, yeah. Anyways, so he would always start out just rolling out the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you've heard of it, you know, you know, all that stuff and uh, seeing the multitudes, I could try in KJV because that's what I had memorized. And then she would roll out uh, John 1, 1 through 14 or 15, that opening section. Well, you know, in my competitive, I want to win mine. I was like, okay, so I'm going to match them verse for verse. So I started memorizing the Sermon on the Mount as much as I could and opening parts of John. And so the, the crazy thing about memorization is it works. It works <laughs> like you actually learn stuff if you do it right. And so I came across these verses in the opening part of John, John 1, 9 through 13. I'll start there. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children, children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So I'm sitting here trying to understand what's going on here. And those last two verses I'm trying to understand, well, like, what's what's John really trying to say here? It, it, he's, you know, he comes to the world, he enlightens the whole world. That might be Arminian might try to use that for for their for their side, but I would hope they don't, because verse nine is actually followed by verse ten. <laughs> yeah, right, where it says he enlightens the whole world or everyone. But then he came to his own, and they didn't know it. Right. right. So he so comes there, to the there's, Jews, there's and they don't even know There's an immediate limitation right. of the context for what enlightenment means. Right. And I have here, even, well, God, it, in some sense, he does enlighten the whole world. He, you know, can, God continues, even in the, the Mosaic Law, the rights of the poor and downtrodden are lifted up. I, people look at the Mosaic Law, and they get mad. And like, no, there's strictures put on you know, servant masters. I only want to use a slave because it's they're while they are slaves, they're not slaves how we think of. Right. And then as Jesus comes in, you know, Paul is lifting up women unheard of in that time, you know, to, you know, equal importance as the man, not equal roles, but equal importance as the man. 
um, there's lots of good things that Christianity has done. So you could say that he has enlightened the world that way. I have a few here, like science, our sexual morals. Hospitals. Hospitals. The end of slavery. Yeah. No, that was... That was white Christian men. Right. Fighting to the guys that are you know, purely evil today right. were the ones that actually ended slavery for right. non-white, non-Christian men and women. Right, and that was the case in the UK too. Wilbur yeah. Wilberforce was uh, William William Wilberforce. Thank you, Wilbur. <laughs> Wilbur. Uh, went through my. He was he was a uh, he was a white man who fought. So, anyways, th- there's a lots of things. There are a lot of things that Christianity has done well for the world. But I'm just saying, I don't think verse nine can be pressed no. into provenient grace. Right, I don't either. Um, but he was rejected by the world, rejected by the Jews. But to those who receive him, and it explains what that means. It means believe on his name. He gives the right to become children. And then it goes into this odd verse, children who were born. And then it has these three things that they were not born of. Right. They're not born of blood. And I take that to mean physical descendants. So it's not like it's uh, just because like you're in a bloodline. Or, or national Israel, yeah. Uh, they're not born of the will of the flesh. I take this to mean that individuals cannot, through their actions, will themselves to being good enough. Um, nor the will of man. And I take this to mean that someone cannot, like, I can't choose for my children. I wish I could choose for my children. It'd make it easier. You know, like, you know, Julia, you will be a follower of Christ. So you think blood is just genetics? Yeah. Flesh is choosing for yourself and... Will a man is choosing for others? I, that's how I, I'm open to I, I, what your thoughts are. That pretty well lines up with the way I would read it, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, maybe it's not quite that, but it it seems to say, not this, not this, not this, this. Right. And the this is born of God. Right. God chooses. And, and I, I would say that the implication there is the will of God. Right. Because it's not this will, not that will, but of God. I think it's leaving a gap there for an implied, but the will of God. Yeah, I I agree. And I have down here the question, why does God choose thusly? Because thusly is a good word. Mm. (laughs) And I I love it when Greg Greg Kogel is asked these questions a lot. I think you like him. I do like Greg. Okay. Uh, I do disagree with him on some things, but that's okay. Um, he says almost inevitably when someone asks a why question of God, he knows the answer or he says he has the answer for them. He doesn't know. (laughs) (laughs) He said, I have an answer to that question. I don't know. Most of the time when we ask those why questions, we don't know. We, we can maybe surmise in some, some times in some areas, why did God do this? Why does God do that? But God doesn't tell us why. So, all right. Uh, that was one of the verses that I had. So yeah. thanks for stealing that from me. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Well, I, I'm leaving open Romans 9, which I know you love. Um, so we will see Romans 9 next time on sure. our next episode. I would say probably Romans 9, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, Ephesians 1, 2, Philippians 2, Philippians 1. Yeah, I had Romans 9. Uh, if you watch the... Um, R.C. Sproul episode that's linked, which I highly encourage you to. 
Um, he's probably more interesting than we are. Uh, <laughs> but you know, you can listen to us on a podcast. So that's, that's right. Well, well yeah, because Ligonier doesn't have a podcast. <laughs> shh, shh. Um, but he just takes Romans nine step by step and just, uh, it's just masterful teaching. So, and if you're interested, I definitely go for the RC Sproul teaching. There's very little that I disagree with him on. He's a solid teacher. If you're interested in Romans nine in particular, there's a debate that James White did with Leighton Flowers. It is about three hours long, but I do find it to be highly enlightening because James White walks through the text from the end of chapter 8, kind of getting a running start into chapter 9, and goes... Which he calls the golden... Golden chain of redemption. Chain of redemption. Yeah. Well, and he didn't coin that term. Oh, someone else did. Oh, yeah. That's a classic term. Okay. Um, and he gets a running start into chapter 9 and goes verse by verse by verse all the way through. And then Leighton Flowers comes in and jumps to the end of chapter 9 and then into John and... and he, he, he's unable to exegete the text start to finish to get to his idea of judicial hardening and nations and kind of stuff like that. I think that would be well worth your time. If you just search James White, Romans 9 debate, it should be in the top five that come up. It may be all five right. in the top five that come up, but that would be an excellent resource for seeing just, you know, I would say James White gives the classic reformed understanding of Romans 9. Um, Unfortunately, on the Armenian side, there are some different ways that Romans 9 is defended. Um, I find Leighton Flowers to be a little bit of a unique way. I'm not sure that I had heard of his way of looking at it before he Does did he just it. nationalize it all? Because um, that's what I've typically seen. Like Even folks in the church where I grew up that aren't Calvinists will say, well, Romans 9 is talking about choosing of Israel amongst the nations. I'm like, well... Maybe, but he it, it's in the smack dab of Paul talking about individual salvation, and he goes to two individuals to talk about it. So, like, maybe you see God's picking— Actually, a, really, three, because Pharaoh was an individual. Right, yeah. yeah so, I, I don't—seems like you're grasping there. Like, you, you know. Yeah, he, so, I wouldn't say that he's doing a purely national one. It's, it's really more—he is— very strongly arguing for the judicial hardening of Israel at the time of Christ. And so it, it, maybe it's similar to some stuff that you've heard. I feel like he's got a little bit of a unique take. I don't think it does any better with the text. Yeah. So we don't want to get to the text before we get to the text. Right. So, but if um, other people want to. Sure. Yeah. You know, in the meantime, um, well, it's only going to be a week for them. It's going to be a month for us. Cause they can listen to a three-hour debate in a week. And by the way, speed it up. Put it on like 1.5, and you'll get through it in two-thirds the time. Right. And so I was thinking, I'm, I was thinking about mentioning that. So what I have started doing I, through Michael, I've started using Overcast. Yeah. And it's a very good – I think it's the best podcast app. I do too. And – it has, you know, silent skips, so I, I don't, it's hard for me to listen to our own podcast. <laughs> it really is. At normal speed. I'm like, keep up. <laughs> but I listen to it on Overcast. We sound, I think we sound smarter than, than normal speed. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, when you speed us up to 2X, it sounds like we're talking really fast and, and really efficiently mm -hmm. and very smart where because yeah. it, it drops out the silence it does drop out the silences where i'm going uh right but and you can also rip audio from yeah a youtube video 
So that so that's why I, like when I'm preparing for our stuff, mm-hmm. I normally will rip down the audio from a YouTube video, upload it to Overcast, yeah. and then listen to it as a podcast while I'm driving back and forth to work, or even if I'm just sitting there mm-hmm. because I can listen to an hour in like thirty to thirty five minutes mm-hmm. or less, depending yeah. on how much silence gets ripped out. So it's it's much it makes prepping and stuff more efficient. Yeah, I tend to turn mine up to about 1.8, but like the dividing line is when I listen to a lot and periodically it'll tell you how fast you're actually going. And I'm regularly in like 2.3 to 2.5 X. Right. Because, because it's dropping the silence and calculating right. that. It's compressing the speed of what you hear, but then it's also, like you said, dropping the silence. So even the 1.8 is how you know fast it's going. Whereas the overall speed is your overall speed. And you do get used to it. So quick plug, not related to this at all, but Overcast, uh, it's an iOS app. I don't think it's on Android. Um, The website is overcast.fm. And if you download the app, I don't remember if you have to go premium or not to do uploads. You can do uploads, but it's kind of small. I think it's around... Two meg or something. It's it's kind of small ish. Not for it's not you're not up- uploading video. It's just audio. Okay. Um, but there is I think some small amount of free if you don't do premium. I did premium because I was like this makes sense because yeah. I was I even used it when I was in seminary because I've been using it maybe a little more than a year now. And anything that I could upload audio wise and listen to, uh, I did do that because it just made. It just made it more efficient. Yeah. So if you do the premium, you get two gigabytes that you can upload to the cloud, which will then download to your device. And like Michael said, if you have, you know, YouTube audio that you've ripped down or something, you can listen to a three-hour debate. Uh, Honestly, with my commute, I could listen to that debate in one day. Mm -hmm. If I listened both ways, I could just about get through all of it in one day. Yeah. So again, we get nothing from that. Um, It's just a really, really good tool to help you take in more information more rapidly. All right, so next time we'll come back, we'll do uh, Romans 9. Uh, I have Romans 9 down. Uh, Ephesians 1 comes up. I didn't have it as a didactic passage, although, I mean, it could be. I just didn't have it. And uh, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, which you already mentioned, mm-hmm. and uh, or th- some of the other ones you mentioned. Um, Philippians 1 and 2. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ephesians 2. All right. (laughs) There are others. All right. Well, thanks, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Episode 12. Catch us next week for our next discussion on Unconditional Election. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. 